Hello everybody and welcome to JTV. I'm really excited about today's guest. Today we are joined by someone called Sarah Gig, but is more commonly known in the online sphere as Hasidic Hipster Girl. Um, Sarah has produces online content on a variety of subjects and some of it is um, performance, uh, so she uh, plays certain humorous uh, characters and she also uses her platform to share Torah ideas to the wider world. Um, and so I really was really excited when I came across her platform because when people use online platforms and spheres not just to entertain but also to educate and to try and influence people's values, hearts and minds, to me that's so you know, represents everything I, I, I believe in and I'm trying to accomplish. So I was so excited to see what Sarah was doing. So Sarah, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time out uh, to join us here today from New York. Yes, thank you so much for having me also. Thanks for reaching out. It's always great to connect through Instagram. I've met wonderful people and what you do on your YouTube channel is truly special and unique. Thank you, I really appreciate that, Sarah. So um, I wanted to start off by, if you could just explain to our viewers, for those who are unfamiliar with your work, with your work can you just summarize what it is that you do with your platforms as Hasidic Hipsagar? And then we can get go into sort of the, the origins and how, how this all started and your story. But just to summarize what it is that you do on a day-to-day -day basis online. Sure, so the way I like to say it in a really short form is that it's Jewish life on a grid. So anything Jewish, I'll post, whether it's a current event, whether it's historical things that have already happened, whether it's biblical snippets or if there's an upcoming holiday, I'll just share it. Amazing. So do you want to tell us a bit about how you came to do what you do? Because we spoke a bit beforehand, before this interview, about your journey. Can you take our audience on your journey? Because it's not, it's not actually the journey that, that I kind of expected to hear. Um, and how you ended up um, doing what you do and, and coming up with this name, Hasidic Hipster Girl. Because you weren't raised necessarily to... It, it, no, I don't think someone would have predicted that you'd end up doing what you're doing, having learned about your origins. I myself did not predict it, and I had no idea it was going to take me to where I am today. So I, I started off living as a... I mean, I was born in Paris, which most people don't know and can't tell because of the way I speak, but I speak fluent French, thank God. And I was raised there until the age of 10. So my childhood was totally shaped European style um, with a culture and all, and then moved to Toronto when I was 10 years old. And there I got Canadianified, if that's a thing, um, and grew up still Sparty, but the community there was much more, we ended, we ended up going to Ashkenazi schools. When I say we, like my family and I, we ended up going to Ashkenazi schools. And so that gave me a blend of two cultures. And then, um, I went to seminary in Israel, which I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before or not, but I did not like so much. And actually it made me rethink my path and rethink what I want to do. Debate if religion is for me as a whole. I really wow. just did not enjoy that aspect of my life. But afterwards I pursued marketing communications and humanities at York university. And I was also studying world religion. I didn't know what I wanted. So I was just studying what I, what, what interested me, what made me excited. So I took a class on the Christian Bible. I took a class on world religion and 
um, marketing via television and computers and digital and all that stuff. And I really did everything that I loved. And throughout that period, I was also spiritually searching. I was connected to the Chabad. And once I graduated, I really, really wanted to pursue. It's always been a dream of mine to pursue acting. Like ever since I was a young girl, I was like, I'm going to be an actress when I grow up. And then I realized at 20, I was saying that. And usually at 20, you're like, okay, let me shape up and think about going to a certain school or think about what I actually want to do that'll make me an income. But then I realized at 23, I still was saying that. And I'm like, wow, it's really, it's my passion and I got to pursue it. So at 23, I moved on my own to New York to pursue acting school. And being that I had good parents, they did not want to support that. They wanted to support me pursuing a legitimate career, like doctor or lawyer. And I didn't want to do a legitimate career. I really wanted to follow my passion because I felt like it was very tied into my mission in this world. So I went to acting school and I really liked it. The only thing is I had to pay rent. I had to find somewhere to sleep and pay rent. And like, I couldn't, it was very hard for me to attend acting school, pay the tuition for that. And at the same time, support myself in New York on my own as a single girl. So I came across this opportunity from Facebook that said, learn Hasidus Chabad in the morning at a women's institute and be free for the rest of the day kind of thing. So I was like, let me look more into that because it sounds kind of like something that I'm looking to do. And I applied and not only was it like morning classes only, but they actually gave me the opportunity to stay there for free because they knew I was in acting school. And I guess that was their way of getting me to come closer, so to speak. Um, I told them there's no way I'm leaving acting school. And they, they, they weren't trying to tell me to leave acting school. They just were accepting of everything that I was and where I was coming from. And I just, and they just suggested that I go to the morning classes. So I went every single day for, I would say a few, a few months to these morning classes and I would attend acting school in the afternoons and evenings. And I took it pretty seriously until I started really feeling this extreme contrast an extreme pull within me every morning i would be when i go to the classes i'd be so happy and ecstatic that i'm in the classes but then in acting i'd be so happy that i'm in in the acting and i felt like i belonged in two different worlds and i fit in those two worlds but they don't merge and it was so hard for me to like even think that it would be a possibility that they would have the ability to merge it was so separate for me and it was getting really difficult. And the inside of me was just being pulled from one side to the other. And as I was attending the classes in the morning, the Hasidic classes, I was noticing how I felt. And I felt a lot of warmth and excitement and passion for continued learning because the learning that I, the kind of Torah that it was, it was this infinite kind of well it's like, I know it sounds cliche to describe it like that, but it was very deep. Like the more questions you ask, the more questions you have and the more answers you find and the more questions you have, it was kind of just like this endless well of knowledge, which was not the way that I was used to learning Torah. And then when I, when it came to acting school, it was very opposite in the sense where it was limited as in you have a script from a specific writer 
that you're going to read. And it's all based on sex. Like all the scripts have, there's not one script that was clean. Every script has foul language. Um, and then that's just scripting. But then when it came to like wearing certain things and actually doing certain things and when other people were involved in the scenes, I started getting very sensitive and uncomfortable because I became sensitized because of the Torah learning I was doing in the morning, which was not intentional to become sensitized, but I, I did. I became, I became sensitive to it. And then I was noticing, I was very, I was, right, because of the Torah learning, I believe it refined, it refined me as a person. I was, very, I was able to feel when people and my professors were crossing the line. And I started noticing my professors making inappropriate comments. They're not so inappropriate, but for me, I took those as like, this is my line and that's it. I'll give you an example. Just one day I walked in and my professor was like, wow, your hair looks so sexy today. That has nothing to do with the script, nothing to do with my performance, nothing to do with the course. It's totally personal and he crossed the line. And I was noticing this happen a lot in acting school, not only to me, but to everyone attending. And then when I started speaking to the people there, um, they were like, yeah, honey, like, of course, like, how do you expect people to get roles? Like, you think all these big actors got roles by being good? It's not about being good. It's about having the looks and it's about climbing your way up there by sleeping around. And I was like, what? Are you serious? Like, that is not like how I plan on getting up there. No, like, what do you mean? It's about talent. I guess I was so naive in that sense where I really thought it was just about talent. But at least in the, I tried out three different acting schools actually in Manhattan because I thought maybe it's just this one. It's a little sketchy and corrupt. Not true. I tried out three different ones at three different times and they all had that same energy, like the overall energy. Um, now I'm not bashing the acting schools. No way. I think, actually believe that acting has an overall energy of like, it's based on looks and performance and um, it's, it's putting on a show. Like that is what it is. So my vibes didn't align, my, intu my intuition didn't align. At the end of the day, this was my personal experience. Um, but despite all that, I still wanted to channel my acting in some way because I still felt like it was somehow tied into my mission and purpose. So I started off with YouTube and I started imitating funny Rebbitsons and like making funny Jewish videos. And they were getting a lot of views at the time because there weren't many people doing my thing on YouTube. And they were really low quality, not the greatest type videos, but they were going around. And then when Instagram came out a few years later, um, I started posting just pictures of me and then my thoughts underneath. Pictures of me, my thoughts underneath. And I never thought of treating Instagram like a YouTube platform, like a video platform, because that's not what it was for. In the beginning, it was just photo-based. But I was noticing that even with just the photos and the captions, people really liked what I had to share. And obviously my thoughts were also very much influenced by Chabad Hasidism that I learned at the time. So it was a mixture of my experiences and Chabad Hasidism, which was a very interesting contrast that people started to follow and really kind of like get hooked on. And I'd get messages and people would email me from around the world, people that I didn't know and ask me like random questions, specifically questions on merging 
the two worlds, merging both sides. And at the time, my name was Sarah Nkawa, just my first name and my last name, maiden last name. Then when I got married and I officially moved to Crown Heights, um, I changed my name to Hasidic Hipster Girl because I realized that my Instagram was doing really well. And a lot of my following were people that I didn't know. So I guess I was considered a whatever official blogger. I don't know what when that official status is. But I changed the name to Hasidic Hipster Girl because of these two extremes that I felt at the time of acting school, because I, I always, I feel them even today. So no matter where I am, I, I know I'm going to feel them all the time. And I actually think a lot of people feel them. If you're really in touch with yourself, we're created with two extremes. We have, whether you want to call it the Yates are hard, the Yates are tov, or the godly soul, the animal soul, or the body and the soul. We always have extremes. We're living in a world of extremes. This is the world that we're in. And I thought, I'm not going to name my account world of extremes. That sounds a little too philosophical, like I'm not a philosophy professor, but I thought Hasidic and hipster was two very different types of people. And why not merge it as one Hasidic hipster? And I thought the name was pretty cool. And as soon as I put it up there, I got even more followers because just because people got intrigued by the name and wanted to hear more and got more curious. And my name is exactly my page. I'm constantly am bridging both worlds together and making, making, uh, yeah, like bridging both worlds together in order to do what really every Jew's mission is. I'll stop here and then maybe I'll explain that in another question. Well, I mean, there, there's so much to unpack here and I want to, to jump into a couple of different things that you mentioned there. Um, but I really strongly relate to what you're saying about feeling like you're I've often been told myself that like by some people like I straddle two worlds, you know, and I think you're very much the same, you know, like being very much involved and engaged in, in a religious world and culture and values, but also very much believing in and wanting to engage in the wider world, in the secular world and in the non-Jewish world. Um, and to me, it's interesting how you talk about it as like engaging in two different extremes. My, my view is, and, and I'm sure you would agree with me, the, the, the aim really should be about actually trying to make, bring those two worlds together um, and to make and help expose one, one, one to the other. And, and uh, because, because, you know, the values that we both believe in and, 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 and practice, we want all, all people to be, to be exposed to, right? And um, be before this interview, actually, we, ha we were having a chat about how we believe that as Jews, we, sh we should be fully engaged in the wider world whilst equally just as committed to our Judaism. And I think that actually is the ideal. And I think now in history, we have a, a special opportunity because there's a lot less persecution. The walls have gone down, the ghetto walls have gone down. We have a, an, uh, you know, a, a strong opportunity uh, to really share our values with the wider world. And I think, um, you know, there's been, obviously there's been a couple of, um, uh, whether it's been some Netflix series or hits or other bits of content that have come out, which I feel are presenting a, f a false dichotomy about whether either you're kind of a very secluded isolationist uh, kind of Judaism, um, or at least that's how they might present it, or you're, you're totally disengaged and involved in the secular world. And, 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 I, I, and I think you're, you're the same as me. We reject that dichotomy. 
the exactly. God, God created the world for us to fully engage with and engage in, and all human beings are created in God's image, and therefore all um, are equally uh, um, lovable and worthy of sharing our, you know, uh, values and experiences with. So I just wondered if you could talk a bit about that and the, the, the importance of um, going out there in, into the wider world with a um, strong, clear-headed passion for, for Judaism. Yes, thanks for reminding me those points. And I'm happy we did speak before the interview. The dichotomy that I felt was very strong before I learned Chabad Hasidism. And now that I jumped into the world of Hasidism at large, whether it's Chabad, Breslev, whatever piece of Hasidus it is, I started to see the world as one, no more dichotomy. But the reality is the physical space that we're in right now is filled with dichotomy. We have to train our minds to see it as one. Just a tiny example. Someone posted on their stories how the government is, I'm not trying to get political here. It's just a, a small example of a dichotomy, like how the government is trying to divide people by saying, are you vaxxed or are you, are you pro-vax or anti-vax? First of all, where's, there's middle people. There's always different, so many people in between those two extremes. And so too with everything, there's always a spectrum. And it's so easy for us human beings when we're in touch with our physical selves to just focus on extremes. But in the spiritual realm, everything is flow. And there's so much more than just two because in the spiritual realm, it's one. Hashem is one, echad, one. And if you actually look at the letter Aleph, it's like this, and then we have the leg here and the arm here. This slant here separates two opposites, high, low, and it's two opposites facing each other that are merging one. And that's a marriage, that's relationships, that's oneness is differences, but differences that are merging as one. God is male and female. Everything is, is there's, there's oneness. Yes, there's, there's dichotomies, but, but if you look deeper, it's really one. So I think that our goal as Jewish people, or I'll just say my personal mission, what I really feel is, is to constantly merge physical and spiritual as one and to teach others to do the same. Because if this world was just a physical world and then when we pass, we pass and that's it. What's the point of God creating us? But if we understand that we're really spiritual beings and we're connected to this oneness, we're connected to the source, we are also the source, we're a piece of the source and we're connected, then obviously we have a much deeper mission. We have the, the, the obligation to elevate everything physical. And I'll just give a concrete example because it can get very floaty in the spiritual realm. I have this water bottle. I could, I could smash it, twist it, or I could like drink from it abruptly because I'm so thirsty. Or I could take it and I can open it. I can say a bracha and I could drink however thirsty I am and then put it away when I'm not thirsty anymore. So it's, it's how do we carry ourselves? How do we treat the space around us, the people around us? And that creates, that, that creates a space for God. The way we treat our, our bodies, our homes, our friends, our environment, is it inviting God or is it rejecting God? 
And I believe as Jews, that's what we're here to do. We're here to invite God. And specifically, we're in the month of Elul, the Hebrew month of Elul, where God gives us the ability to do so in a much easier way because instead of us the whole year we're constantly trying to draw down godliness into this lower realm but now in the month of Elul he's actually here it says Hamelach Basada the king is in the field he is not in his palace he's coming here to greet us he's with us so it's much easier to create these spaces of godliness looking at the Instagram platform that's so saturated with the same fashion bloggers and and bloggers, bloggers, bloggers. I'm not at all putting down bloggers. I think it's a beautiful thing to bring inspiration. What I'm talking about is, is the world at large and how overly saturated this market of consuming is. I thought, why not create a space for God in this platform? Let's add in some spirituality in this platform. And I'm, I'm sure people are searching for it and I'm sure they're thirsty for it. And the fact is that they really are. Anytime I post something Jewish, I get so much interaction with that post. So many people save it, like hundreds of people save the, 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 the post that I would, that I think would least get saved. Um, but people are really, really interested in learning, even though there are so many websites and so many books, people are on Instagram. So we got to go to the people. They're not going to go necessarily out of their way and change their habits and start reading a book when their habit right now is to be on Instagram. So go to where the people are and then spoon feed them. And eventually they'll start creating their own habits. Yeah. You're, uh, you're, you're preaching to the choir on, on that one. <laughs> um, how, how do you, um, what, how, how did uh, Hasidic teachings, Hasidus, and you mentioned specifically Chabad, uh, Hasidus. Um, in what ways did it influence you? What, what are some of the key teachings that you found had a really big impact on you? And also, as you said, shaped your belief that it's so important to, to really have a Judaism engage with the wider, wo wider world. Um, well, the first quote that really struck me, like the first teaching that really struck me was one by the Lubavitcher Rebbe that said, if you have talents and you don't use them, it's as if you've wasted a day in your life. And for me, that quote was so hit so deep because for me, I took it as I love acting and I love self-expression and I love expression of all sorts, dance, acting, singing, um, creating. And right here, I have the Rebbe telling me to continue doing that. But the key is to channel it for God. And that's what I didn't have before, the channeling it for God. And I'd say just even learning the Parsha from a Hasidic perspective brings me practical tools for my day to day. It's not like learning the Parsha from a historical textual perspective, which is also fantastic. It's just not as practical as when I learn it with Hasidus. What kind of sources are you drawing on? I'm drawing on Likutei Sichos of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, Daily Wisdom, which is a book by Tzvi Freeman, who also compiled a bunch of the Lubavitch Rebbe's teachings. Um, and really, I just go into any Crown Heights Jacob stores and I pick a few books out every few months and then I fill them into my bookshelves and I read them on Shabbos a little bit. But before that, I started with Chabad.org. Chabad.org and I started doing the Tanya. There's actually this, 
this thing in Chabad that is called doing the daily chitas. And chitas stands for Chomesh, Tanya, and Tehillim. And every single day, Chabad Chassidim read a portion of the Chumash, a portion of the Tanya, and a portion of the Tehillim. And it's meant to infuse you with knowledge, but also strengthen you and protect you. So I don't do it every day. I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful concept because I'm all about growth. And in life, what's the point of saying, yeah, I'm a Jew, but like, what do I do that's Jewish? Like, how are we being Jewish? You know, like just by having an ashama? Yeah, great. We are Jewish by just having a soul, 100%. But what are we actively doing to stay and remain Jewish? We always need to maintain everything that we have. If we don't maintain our home, it deteriorates. We don't maintain our relationships, it deteriorates. Everything we don't maintain deteriorates. So too, with our connection to God, our spirituality, our Judaism, what are we doing on a constant basis? And I found that Chabad specifically was very keen on upkeeping the Torah and the mitzvot, and not only for themselves, but to other people. And they go outwards. Every single Friday, they have this thing called Miftayim, where they go, the men put tefillin on other Jewish men, women go out and give out Shabbat candles. And also just bringing up women, men and women in Chabad are equal. Like they do equal amount of work. They are equally recognized. The women speak in front of large gatherings and the women inspire as much as the men inspire. So that's what I really loved about Chabad as well. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I'm, I feel very similarly about Chabad. I think they're a most remarkable uh, movement. Um, now you and I are both on social media. We both believe in using so social media to um, influence others and, and, and have an impact on the world. Um, but there are legitimate concerns by both religious people and frankly today, lots of um, secular people about uh, social media and the dangers of social media that it can have on people's uh, mental health and psychological well-being. Um, how do you think that one can navigate social media in a healthy way? I think discipline is key. Having set times and just going in order to inspire, not going in order to consume. That's my motto. Right. And um, do you think that there's a place for just, um, you, you know, not necessarily going for inspiring, but for as the title of it is social, you know, just to be social, to just to, you know, in, engage with friends, connect, catch up on what other people have been doing. Because one of the concerns that a lot of people have is they say, you know, people project their perfect lives, it's their, their image lifestyle, but it's not actually reflecting reality. And it gives people a false impression about what life is really like. But on the other hand, it's a great way to, uh, you know, connect with friends and keep up to up to date with people. So people might say, you know, I'm not doing that to inspire, I'm doing it to be social. But how do you navigate those those pitfalls? So I think that's fine if that works for people, but being social through a screen doesn't work for me. I like to be social in real life with real people, like real connections. Mm -hmm. Even though I actually moved to Jersey a year ago and I'm like an hour from Brooklyn, an hour from like all the social scenes, I make an effort to drive to meet people, to go to events, because being social through a screen just doesn't do it for me. It's not the same. So, and, I, and I've spoken to quite a few people about this and they feel the same way. They kind of feel like it's, it's a one way, especially with Instagram and different social media platforms. It's more like I'm putting something out there and then you're just liking it. There's no exchange. It's like one way street. Even if there's, you put something out there and then you get a comment, 
okay, how far are you going to go? You're going to start a thread. Like maybe once in a blue moon, you're going to start a thread, but it's not a real connection. I think that aside for the social media connection, you need to create and cultivate real life relationships with these people. So I'm lucky to be living in this New York, New Jersey area where I do have the opportunity to go to many events where I see the people that are part of part of my followers in real life, which is great. And I've met so many people because of Instagram, but I think that meeting in real life is crucial. I, th I think that's very good, healthy advice. Um, what would your advice be to people out there who, let's say they have certain career passions, perhaps similar to the ones that, that you have, um, but they're worried that they might compromise certain Jewish values in doing so. Um, and you know, you've already spoken about how you've navigated that yourself. Um, but what would, you, what would your general advice be to people across the board that are trying to pursue, let's say, let's say a less conventional career path, but they want to do it in a way that they're not going to compromise um, their values? Okay, so I would say I understand exactly what it means to have a passion and such a strong, deep, passionate passion. But remember who gave that to you? It was God. It was God given. And if it was God given, it's got to go back to God. So how do we channel it is really key. So if we're going to use that passion for, let's say if I were to pursue my passion for film and I made it big, is it really, is it, does it really mean I made it big to act in a movie and be half dressed? Is that really making it big? Maybe to the secular world, but to my world and my Jewish values, making it big is exactly what I'm doing now channeling it back to God. Because at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, what truly matters is how much did we accomplish in this world and not accomplish from a secular perspective because the secular pers perspective is an illusion of this physical world. But how much did we accomplish and constantly drawing down godliness into our material matters? Beautiful. I I've, I've totally agree with that. And I I'm reminded of the quote of um, Rabbi Lord, the late Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory, who said that your purpose comes where what you want to do meets what needs to be done. And that for me has actually seen me through a lot of uh, what I do, um, where trying to match up what I enjoy doing, creating videos, talking, educating, influencing, but doing, but, but using or um, carrying the right messages and the right values um, uh, in doing so. And I think what you do beautifully also is that you highlight different people's traits and values, which is also so godly because every person possesses a piece of God. So kudos. Uh, thank you very much. I, and yeah, absolutely. And, and I, 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 this ties into what I was saying earlier about a Judaism engaged with the world. We believe every single human being is needed by God as part of the divine uh, puzzle of the world and is open to... Um, you know, uh, spiritual connection, and therefore we, and that's very much your philosophy as well. We should be out there and uh, engage with everyone. Um, you speak on your social media about um, modesty and mod modest dress, um, and how it doesn't necessarily mean not looking good, and that's not the point of it. Um, would you be able to articulate to our viewers, because we actually haven't discussed this very much on JTV, could you articulate to our viewers from your perspective what you think is um, the Jewish vision of modesty? Sure. Okay. So first I do want to say that the Torah does share laws on sniut, which is modesty, and it has exact laws on how to do so. 
I'm not going to share those. I'm going to share where I'm holding right now. I think modesty is very personal to every single person. Modesty is how we dress, how we speak, how we act. And it's for men and for women. It's how we behave with one another, how we engage our body language or posture. There's so many things. It's not just clothing in the school systems. It's taught as just clothing. So all they have as a reference is cover your knees, cover your elbows, cover your collarbone. And do you think that's a problem? What? Do you think that's a problem in the school system where it's just it's a very big problem because then people have an issue with the word modesty and then don't want to associate with it at all, don't even want to be in touch with it at all, and then give give up understanding themselves. Because modesty is really just being your true self, shining, making your soul shine its brightest. So what is an expression of the soul? How am I going to express my soul today? And that's going to be different for everyone because everyone's holding at a different page. And that's perfectly fine. But yeah, I have a live on that on my Instagram. There's a lot to say on it. I can I can go on for hours. But Feel free to check it out if you guys want to see it. Great. No, absolutely. We will. But it, 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 do you think you could perhaps summarize in a sentence or two what you think the definition of modesty is from a Jewish perspective? Well, I think modesty is the way we dress, behave, act with ourselves and with each other. And it's also a true expression of our soul. And I think what often people don't realize is that it's, they, they see it as such a, uh, when, when, when it's spoken about in, in a religious context, it's seen as somewhat about being oppressive or restrictive. Whereas actually, first of all, as you said, it's a principle that applies to both men and women. And secondly, it's actually meant to be a, um, it's the opposite of restrictive. It's, it's trying to allow to take us past certain physical barriers in order to let, let our, our, our soul speak and our personality shine through and what's important come through and also to protect what's private for, for intimacy, right? And for exactly. I am not at the level where I keep halachic, like modesty according to Jewish law because of, I mean, I'm not going to blame my school system, but I definitely think that the way I learned modesty gave me a bad taste and I had to unlearn it. And then I'm relearning it now as I grow and evolve. So I'm taking it at my own pace and I suggest that everyone takes it at their own pace. And I don't think it's healthy to just do things when you're not ready to do things. Well, isn't, isn't the point though also of modesty is that we're not, it's not just about the specific practical law side, it's also about embracing a certain principle and ideal and it's that, or, or a certain paradigm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's going to operate or practice that the modesty in the exact same level, but it's about operating within a paradigm of saying, I am first a soul, not a body. And it works in that order, right? So it's about the principle more. Exactly. Or else God would have made us, he would have made us uniform and he would have told us wear the same exact thing. And he would have told us exactly. Yeah. Like if you look at other religions, some religions have a uniform garb and judaism does not we also have the ability to wear color and to express ourselves just within the confines of modesty and i also think that the torah has to be very specific about collarbones and elbows and knees in order to draw boundaries so if if we didn't have the elbows let's say like 
oh, where by the arm, you know, like how short is short? And then everyone could come up with their opinions and then, oh, it becomes the sleeveless. And then when it's sleeveless, oh, how far away from the breast? Like the Torah is always here to create boundaries for our protection. That's what I believe. And how do you think, because um, you said you, you, had, you felt you had a bad experience in this, in this regard when it came to um, modest dress. How, how do you think um, uh, re religious schools that, that encourage uh, modest dress can get it better? Do you think it needs to be more focused around ed ed educational and it needs to be more sort of like uh, in-depth understanding of the principles yeah. of modesty? Yeah, what, what, what's missing? classes on modesty and on the in-depth understanding of what it is, not, not just, oh, look inside. It says we have to cover this and cover this. We have to learn why. We have to learn the deeper understanding. We have to learn the Hasidic aspect of it. And back when I was in high school, we didn't even learn the laws of modesty yet. Oh, if your button's not buttoned, you get a detention. If your skirt's above your knees, you have to go to the office to get a new one. Like, but why? We're still in high school and we don't know. So please educate us instead of telling us and then punishing us. And this, this punishing system is really not a healthy system. I think that, I mean, if, if I were teaching high school right now, I would just, the girls that are doing the right thing, which is also challenging, um, because I understand that in a school system, there has to be certain rules. So it's very different than, than teaching modesty to adults. But let's say if the rule of the school was cover your knees, then you'd encourage the girls that are covering their knees as opposed to punishing the ones that are not. Yeah. Well, in terms of positive education, you are definitely doing your part. Um, so um, keep doing the amazing work you're doing. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on JTV. Really, really appreciate it. Your story is just really inspiring. I'm really inspired by the work you do. And I, I know that it's having a really uh, awesome impact. Um, I feel very uh, ideologically kind of similar to you, similar values, similar approach to uh, Judaism and going out there and talking to others, engaging with the wider world. Um, so just uh, congrats on all the work you've done so far and I wish you continued success with everything you do in the future. Thank you so much and thank you for having me and I'm excited to check out the YouTube channel.